the genuinely interested podcast. Martin, I'm glad we could get it done and you could join the podcast. Thanks for uh, coming on. No, thank you for thank you for having me. Happy to happy I could make it. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you're always out, you know, in like these remote places. So finally, we could uh, schedule a time where you're in a city and we can get it done. So I'm happy we could do it. Exactly. It's um, it doesn't happen often that I am or, oh, <laughs> in signal or or about. So always on on some sort of trip. But luckily, I have a, have a few weeks now. So. What is the ratio? I mean, recently, as far as like you being out on 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 a, on a mission, a project, whatever it is, versus like you know the day to day. I used the, to like like before COVID. Um, before COVID, I was single, so I was um, usually like four months away. Uh, the rest back, and then COVID happened. So obviously, I didn't travel anywhere for two years, and then. Um, I got in a relationship during COVID and it wasn't really fair for me to all of a sudden I had someone worrying about me. So it wasn't yeah. actually fair to to leave. Um, but now we're in a really good, good spot and a comfortable situation. So um I'm back to sort of like eight, nine months actually um away. Um and the rest back. So usually the year I, I'm Arctic. Um so the summers for me are are busy, which sucks because it's the best time to be in Vancouver. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the winters I, I spend here in the rain and then the summers I, I spend up up in the cold. So it's never it's never a vacation. Do you get any snow out, out in Vancouver or just most? It's kind of like more more of a Seattle weather. Last few years, we've actually been getting more snow than usual. Like it, it used to. I don't remember it being that cold, like. Uh, but last year we had like minus 20, uh, where I live, I, I'm a little bit out of Vancouver, um, but we had minus 20 for like two weeks. And then this year it was minus 10 for a week and, and snow. So it started to get a little, it's just weird, you know, climate change and, and all of these systems coming through, right. Bringing in weather that we're not expecting. So, yeah. um, people are like, oh, global warming, it must be cold or it must be everything getting warm. And it's no, it's actually just everything's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you looked at California, what they got, which is, I guess, good for them because they've had a drought. So they really needed yeah. that, that snow and ice melt. And hopefully that kind of sets them straight for the. I've actually years. been watching it. It's kind of like uh, not a hobby necessarily, but like okay. I like to, you know, know weather and, and keep track on these things slightly in my mind, at least. So when I saw that they're getting snow, I've been like watching like dam levels and like Lake Mead and Lake Powell because I work there sometimes. So um, while that is still by no means good. Uh, at least California is actually doing great, which is perfect. You know, like <laughs> we don't need the water here. They need it down there. Oh, 100%. If you, I, I saw in, uh, I think it's Brighton Resort in Utah. They got like 800 inches. I saw that. No, so which is uh, like it, it, they, it's like too much snow. Like they, they, yeah. they, they can't, the, uh, the resort can't operate with that much snow. Yeah. You're it's seeing like, like the chairlifts and they're like underneath snow. Yeah. <laughs> So crazy, yeah! And like so gut wrenching because I'm just like you know I see snow, I'm like a little baby. I just I just want to kind of like jump in like uh <laughs> duck, like Duck McScrooge in the yeah. coin <laughs> pool. I want to do that with snow, you know. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I, me too. Me as well. I love I love winter. Obviously, I work in the Arctic and in snow all the time. But um, I haven't even gone skiing this year, unfortunately. But. <laughs> No. All right. Well, next year, then you got Whistler not too far away. So I've never been in Whistler. I, I oh, no, really? I come from like, I come from actually a very, I, my parents are immigrants. So I, we never had money. Um, so we could actually never afford Whistler. I mean, we could barely afford skiing in general when we came to Canada. So it was, so where did you move from? I'm from Slovakia originally. Okay. So I came here when I was eight years old. Um, so it's only now that finally, you know, like with work and, and everything, it, it's obviously gotten better as we, as we've been here, but it's kind of like the parents give the sacrifice yeah. to the kids, um, while their life could have been better there. They did it for us here, hoping that our lives are getting better and they are. Um, so yeah. <laughs> and then you guys moved straight to Vancouver. 
Yeah, I, I, we had family here. Um, they lived in Dawson Creek and up north, uh, like my aunts and uncles. So my dad visited them in the 80s and, and he loved Canada. And then they tried many times to immigrate, but, you know, communism. Um, so this was the time where Slovakia was still a part of the yeah. USSR. Yeah. yeah. So that's when they tried a few times and then, you know, it, it all ended finally and they tried again and uh, they, they didn't get accepted. And then business became really good. And my dad's colleague came by and said, oh, like, I'm I'm going to Canada. And he's like, oh, like, see you later. And he's like, no, I'm moving to Canada. Yeah. Um, and then my dad's passion sort of got reignited and, and he started looking into it. And then finally, in 2004, um we made it here <laughs> how, how old were you there? oh you said you were eight right yeah i was eight yeah okay and then do you go visit sometimes do you still go back yeah like all my grandparents are still there my cousins my family so we all always go we tried to go every year and then obviously the pandemic so mm -hmm. um, but last year i went two or three times because now i work a lot out of the uk okay. so that's right next door so whenever i'm in the uk i just fly across and, and visit that's awesome, man. Yeah, so it's all like here, you know, they're, you know, it's six small. hours. It's small, right? So, <laughs> and cheaper in terms of yeah. flying. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can get a flight for like, you know, within Europe with all these low cost uh, airline budgets, 10, like the, on the extreme yeah. level, you can go down to like 10, 20 bucks. It's ridiculous. Like yeah. I flew from Vancouver to Comox the other yeah. day and it was, it was $180. It was a 30 minute flight to Vancouver Island. Really? You, know, you like, I'm like, blows my mind. Like, you know, 30 minute flight in Europe, I could for 180 bucks, I could go to Israel, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, I remember when I, when I lived in New York, uh, we were looking for flights to upstate New York somewhere, I forget where. And uh, yeah, it was like two, 250, 300, like within yeah. the state. Yeah. You know, it's, crazy. it's ridiculous. And then like in Europe, from England to Italy, you can find a, a flight for probably 20, 30 on one of those low cost yeah. budget airlines. I'm not even talking about how expensive it is to get into the Arctic. <laughs> in oh, I can only imagine. But there, but but like, but that's a whole thing, right? Like that's the, the like, so, okay, let's, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I really want to get into this. So first, <laughs> before we get into the logistics and, and then like, what got you interested in, in going to the Arctic in the first place? Because that's uh, not a place most people, most people, when they think of the type of life that they want to live or some place where they're like, ah, this is somewhere I want to go. Even if, if it's not travel, if it's, I want to work, they're thinking tropics, beach, yeah. sun, and you're like the worst, most inhospitable climate. That's where I want to go for four months. Well, it's funny because even when I talk to cinematographers, photographers, um, they're all like, oh, we started in Africa and in the Amazon and all of these places. And we want to get to the Arctic. Like mm -hmm. that's the the you don't start your career in the Arctic. Usually, I mean, there are exceptions, but for the most part, you know, Africa and, and these wild places that are slightly more easily accessible. Um, and I'm like. No, I, I, I work in the Arctic and I've only been to Africa once and I want to actually work more in Africa. So yeah. we're doing this weird uh, <laughs> switch, but I never thought I would be um, sort of the expert on, on the Arctic. Like for me, it, it was, I went up for the first time in, in 2015. I was working on a project with my dad at the time um, on Canada. We were doing a book for the 150th anniversary. Um, so the idea was we would travel to every province, territory, city and, and document, you know, everything from people to wildlife. And so I, a, I got that's a lot of work. Canada is massive. Oh, yeah, it was. I mean, we ultimately we did visit every we never got funding for the book itself. So and we wanted it to be what we dreamed it. Okay. Uh, so we kind of put it on hold. And now we're just doing like little trips here and there. And eventually it will happen. Um, but at the time, you know, we did months and months of travel across Canada, got to know, got to know it better than most Canadians. Mm -hmm. And a part of it was going up to Nunavut and, and visiting it up there. And I remember going up and, and seeing the towns and, and seeing just the vast emptiness. You know, I, I'm, I'm personally not a people person. I don't really like people. I don't like drama. So I, I like being remote. Yeah. Um, 
so I love just being somewhere and having no one else around. And, and it was like, it was Africa with snow. Uh, you know, like I, in terms of wildlife, in terms of people, cultures, everything, like you felt like you were in a, in a different world, 100%. And then I kind of got put off by it a little bit. I was like, I'm, I don't really like this that much. Uh, I'm, I don't want to come back. And then I came back. And then I what, came what, what aspects of it made you not like it initially? I didn't. It, it was that weird, weird aspect of of just culture shock, I think, because um, I came from a very different background. And, and at first, you know, I was a teenager when I went up for the first time, you know, so you're looking at it through different eyes slightly. And um I guess you're scared a little bit because, you know, you are so remote. Um, and in my mind, it just didn't really play the way I, I wanted it to. The The wilderness was great, but in the towns, I felt not in danger by any means, but just like weird. Like this, I didn't feel like this was, I felt like on another planet. Uh, but that was just a very, um, you know, to put it bluntly, a very white, way of looking at it. Um, and then I came back again and I came back again and, and the Inuit people started become a lot of them are like such good friends of mine. Like I love them to death, like their culture, the way they do things, the place they live, like, um, you know, they live up there, the sheer remoteness and, and the way they have to rely on each other and nature and all of these things. Like it's such a, a beautiful dance. Mm -hmm. And um, that kind of attracted me back. And I, I decided I'm going to do the Arctic slightly different. And this is not even talking about polar bears. Um, I wanted to experience the people and the culture slightly different because I feel like as photographers, we have this power to show the world. But in the same way, it's such a bias way because, you know, I can I can show you a, a, an animal. Yep. And if I point the camera right here, there's an oil tanker, you know, but yeah. you see this animal, you think it's in a beautiful, pristine space. Um, so I think it was an obligation to sort of share the world in its rawest and truest form. So um, that's why I just started building those relationships with the Inuit people, because I thought they were very much misrepresented by photography, because it showed them as hunters, it showed them as um killers potentially of whales and other animals uh but then you don't see the aspect of like why are they doing it you know you can't complain that someone's doing something and not give them an alternative uh source of income source of food you know like you know they a steak costs 70 bucks yep. uh and a lot of them can't eat it because uh the shit we put in our meat uh down here sorry i don't know if i can say that well, it's also they live so far away and, and nothing really grows there for the majority of the year. They have yeah. to sustain themselves on whatever is available and what's available is animals. So they're going to yeah. eat those animals. And, and we I'm don't sure they realize, do it in a more sustainable way possible. Yeah. And we don't even realize how much chemicals goes into production of the beef and pork and chickens that we eat. That when they eat it, actually, a lot of them, you know, tell me like I get sick from it, like I can't eat it. Um, so they actually need their caribou, their muskox, their whale, you know, to, to, to live. And that was the story that wasn't really being shared. Um, so when I started sharing, you know, pictures of a beluga hunt on my Instagram, uh, and I lost, you know, thousands of followers for it. But at the same time, I got, you know, a few hundred people that were like, you know, thank you so much for actually telling us how it is. Um, and since then I've kind of just been trying to, to do that. Well, that's the, that's the other thing nowadays. It's like you get correlated or you get kind of put in the same box just by sharing something. Yeah. People assume right away that you condone or that you support or you whatever. But if you're a photographer or, or journalist or whatever, someone just that wants to put an opinion out and showcase something, you're going to, you're going to risk a lot yeah. of people getting upset and a lot of times for no good reason. Like I'm just putting this out. That doesn't necessarily mean I support or don't support. I'm just showing you what it is. Like yeah. You can't be that easily offended by everything you see. No, you know, you have to, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to accept the world for 
um, that not everything is, is the way you want it to be necessarily. And, and your way of looking at it is potentially kind of biased because we're all biased, you know, like we all um, grew up in our own worlds. And I think at least for me, the way to break down those walls has been travel, you know, to, to all of a sudden put yourself in, in a place where you are a minority, to put yourself in a situation where you're extremely uncomfortable um, and find out that for the most part, these people are just trying to help you um, and make sure that you're successful and, and succeed. Um, it's just, um, yeah, it, it has been a beautiful part of being able to travel the world. And then at, at what part, at what point, I guess, did that the fascination for polar bears start? And then I want you to kind of talk about the mission, because I watched that whole documentary you put out on YouTube about you guys going on the boat and 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 shooting not not with guns but with cameras. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I always feel like they should they, they need to like find a better word for shooting with photography. I know it's so cool. Right? Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I always say shooting. I'm like not that type of shooting, especially in the U.S. You know. But anyway, yeah. whole different story. But yeah, like uh, if you can kind of. So this is I want to connect to what we were talking about earlier about going out to the Arctic and how expensive it is. Like this. Kind of tell the story and and then if you can kind of break it down because that's a massive undertaking both yeah. i'm sure logistically uh financially you know you have to kind of wish for a little bit of luck as well to have yeah. uh, everything together so yeah if you can kind of tell us how oh, it went down it's all luck you know like and and for me it was never it was never about fame um mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I did, you know, become famous through polar bears. Like people recognize me on the street, on planes. Like I, you know, all of a sudden people know who I am and it's, it's weird, but I never wanted that to happen. Yeah. I mean, maybe I did want it to happen, but I never expected it to happen. Yeah. You know, for me, the Arctic was a passion and being there with the animals and then going to Churchill and seeing the bears for the first time and the beluga whales and experiencing things that haven't really been been shared in the same way that I feel like the Inuit people and in general, the indigenous community have been misrepresented a lot of the time. Um, the animals were too, because all of a sudden, you know, we saw polar bears in the winter and the polar bears we saw in the summer were skinny. Uh, but what else is there? And then we started going up there and, and witnessing it and, and filming it. And, you know, it, it takes a mountain. You know, it, it, it really does like uh, family partners, uh, you know, uh, companies, all of these people that sort of came together, um, and said, you know, you give us pictures, we'll give you this, you know, like just trade. Uh, like, I don't think people realize I never made money from any of my, of my shoots, uh, like even media, all of that stuff, like everything was always free. Uh, but the trips were extremely expensive still, you know, cause even if the trip is, um, for instance, at a lower cost or free, there's still, uh, the getting there, there's still the equipment that goes into it. You know, things break, you know, like I spent, you know, upwards of 40, $50,000 on every single trip. Uh, on equipment, travel, all of these things. And sometimes there is no return for it. You know, like I went to film wolves last week and we didn't see any, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, you know, there, there is just things that happen that you, you know, you're not going to expect necessarily, and you're going to devote all this time and attention and energy and finance. Yeah. And it's like gambling, you know, I don't personally gamble with money, but I definitely gamble with, with money in the, in the sense of projects. <laughs> so uh, like, do you have to get a sponsor? Do you have to reach out to XYZ corporations or to Nat Geo or whoever it is right outside magazine and say like, Hey, this is something I want to do. Yeah. Or do you self-sponsor it and then hopefully later someone buys pretty it? Much, like, what's the process? Yeah, pretty much self-sponsor it. Um, if I can avoid partnering with anybody, I do. And I like to sell things after the fact because I don't like people being disappointed. Yeah. Um, you know, there there is when there's a people aspect or, or that it, it's, it gives a guarantee slightly because um, you can you talk to people. Uh, but as soon as an animal is involved, I don't like to to guarantee anything. Like even with the polar bears, you know, we went up in 2020 
And while those pictures went to win Wildlife Photographer of the Year and sort of kickstarted the whole Nat Geo and all of these things, um, the idea of the that year was to film bears and flowers. We never got flowers. The flowers never bloomed. Um, so all of a sudden, I'm up there, you know, year not like months of work, but years of work, because I've been dreaming of going there for over 10 years, uh, come down to one single moment and the flowers aren't there. So, you know, the whole, your whole life led you to this exact moment, but that moment is not there, you know? So then now you're starting to think, okay, what do I do? How do I change this? You're making the most of it. We did, you know, the pictures were absolutely amazing. The story was fascinating, Um, but I was still, I still wanted polar bears and flowers. So I came back the year after that and that was a video you mentioned. Um, And we filmed finally polar bears and flowers. Um, and then I sat on those polar bears with flowers for a year to make sure that, you know, that location and, and everything get, it remains protected. And then I released it with Nat Geo. Um, but those are all things that come after for the most part, you know, I, I, I tend to have somewhat of a partner, um, uh, in the sense like expedition partner, cause I don't have boats or things like that. So I partner up with a company that does, mm-hmm. um, and then we do the trip together and, uh, yeah. <laughs> what what does it feel like seeing your photo in what every uh, I guess every nature photographer's wettest dream in that geo? How does that feel? And you're young. I'm, how how old are you? I'm 27. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I was 26 when when it came in into Nat Geo. I mean, it was <clears throat> life has a a funny way of surprising us um with things that we just don't expect we dream of them like i dreamed of being an Geo my whole life you know like i my dad's a graphic designer and a photographer we had not geos through the roof piles and piles of them he did exactly as a as a kid he was doing the exact same thing i was just dreaming of going to these locations Mm -hmm. um except you know unfortunately communism and the country he was in did not allow him to do that it did not provide him the opportunity to do it um, but I have the opportunity now and, and, and to fulfill not just my dream, but potentially even his, um, has been just extremely great. Cause we grew from it together, him and I, you know, like as a family, as, as colleagues, partners, cause we work together on everything. Um, so it, it was an amazing pinnacle, but at the same time, it was, um, kind of a, you know, like when I won wildlife photographer years ago, when I was a kid, I, I sort of like took it to, it got in my head and I got a little bit cocky about it. Um, and then I wanted Nat Geo not to be that, you know, I wanted it to just be a start of a beautiful project and a beautiful relationship in the future. And it just sort of made things happen of like, okay, well now it's time to get back to work. <laughs> you know, this is where the work starts. It's not where it ends, you know, now, yeah. it, now I have to like kick into overdrive and, and start working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can imagine a lot of attention probably came afterwards. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I mean, Instagram, you know, I went from 5,000 followers to half a million uh what are you at now yeah just over half a mil okay um i'm trying to keep it real like i i don't have people running my instagram i mean my girlfriend helps every so often but i try to be me i as much as i have an inbox of probably 500 messages right now i do try and reply to everything myself and try to be that nat geo photographer that like is approachable because you know i had a a huge support system of of family um, my entire life i understand that a lot of people don't so when people ask me oh yeah you know like how do you get into photography how do you get into nat geo and all of this stuff like i try and answer and it's me answering you know being like this is what i did you know i can't guarantee that it will help you but you know you you need to try (laughs) yeah i mean it's uh, not experience, but advice is one of the weirdest things because especially nowadays, everyone is trying to give you advice and everyone's trying to sell advice and everyone is trying to be an authority in their realm and thus usually upsell you on something. Mm. But like, it, for some, like personally, at least, there are some people whose advice I cherish 
And I'm like, this is like, this is really helpful. You, I know you have the history in this domain. You're really good at it. I'm going to listen to you. And then there's other people where I just listen. I'm like, I tune out after two seconds because I know you're trying to sell me some shit. I know you're not really looking out for me. So advice is, don't listen to everyone's advice. Like, and and not every advice is fit for every. It's kind of like a diet. Like some, like I can eat maybe a vegan diet or a carnivore diet or whatever, and that diet's not going to be good for you. You know, so you really have to be careful whose advice you take because not all advice are created equal. Oh, exactly. You know, like something, yeah, like like you said, like some some advice will help you and and some won't, and it's different from person to person, right? Like for me, like uh, being able to guide. Um, and working in these environments as a f- photography was always the side gig, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, it, for me, and this is the first year I'm making money as a photographer, you know, uh, and I've been doing it for almost 20 years. Wow. Um, you that's know, so, exactly. Right. So, you know, that's why when people are like, Oh, you know, I, I tend to give up easily and all of this, this is not for you. If, if you, you can't give up you know, you're, it's a, it's a permanent hustle. It's, yeah. uh, when you're on location, it's, it's a permanent, uh, you know, pay, game of patience and being able to change on the go. Like, um, my girlfriend went with me on, on my last trip to Mexico and, and she was there with me and she was pulling her hair out after two weeks. She was like, I could, <laughs> I could never do what you do. Like I, it just takes so much patience and all of this stuff. And I'm an extremely unpatient person. But I'm an extremely impatient person when it comes to people. Um, When it comes to wildlife, I know I can't influence it. But when it comes to people, I'm just extremely impatient because I'm like, you don't know what I've been going through. Like, let's go. Like, I need need this done tomorrow. I need this done next week. Like, I don't have the time because, you know, I'm about right now I'm around until the end of May and I have 30 projects I need to finish. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't have the time, the luxury of time. Yeah. Because as soon as I'm out in the field... Um, I'm working 24 hours a day, um, making sure I don't miss any single moment in this animal, in this wild world. Um, so when I get back, it's like, go, 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 you know? (laughs) So that's, you know, it's funny because when people say, oh, this video or picture or person or story went viral, right? The way I kind of view uh, virality is not necessarily through numbers. That's obviously one metric. But the other is if you if you're there a bunch of people, you're like, hey, did you see that story? Oh, did you see that crazy thing? And everyone knows what you're talking about. Then, you know, like that really went viral. And for you, I was sitting, I forget where I was, but a few months ago, I was sitting with a bunch of friends and someone brought up the, they're like, did you see that polar bear image? And I was like, yeah, the one with the, and I, and I, you know, I pull it up on Instagram and I showed like, yeah, yeah, that, that one. I was like, wow, this like, and and these people aren't, weren't necessarily nature people and they still saw this and were so impressed. I first saw it. I thought it was fake. I thought not fake necessarily in like the, 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 you know, AI CGI type thing, but like, you know, maybe it was in a zoo, maybe like it just, it felt almost unreal. And then I saw the video. I was like, "Oh, like that—that's insane!" So like, that's why you... I think the video went viral because, like, I continuously you have to prove yourself in in this business, and not just prove yourself, but prove that your images are real. Um, and people have gotten so used to fake pictures of you know Photoshop and Illustrator, HDRs, all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, that they start to, you know, once they see something real, the first thing that comes to mind is it's not. Yeah. Um, even well, though it was almost too they, good to be true. It looks so. Yeah. You know, but then sometimes you 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 show them a picture. I, I like it drives me nuts when I see a picture pop up on Facebook and it's like huge moon rising behind a city. <laughs> yeah. and all the comments under it are like, oh, my God, that's fascinating. Blah, blah, blah. And then you look at the picture and the moon is actually in front of the clouds. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, this is the, like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was to your point earlier. There's so many ways that even forget Photoshop for a second and and all the editing tools. But even when you shoot something, there's so many ways that you can play around with, with how the image is shot. Right. And you can let people give you can give them one view and you can give them a different view. And there's a yeah. two complete different perspectives. But as no, far exactly. as like the the setting, 
like, can you give the, because for people who may not see the video, I was, I, I almost didn't believe how close you were able to get to them and how in sync you seem to be. Like it, it, it almost seemed like you were both at peace with having each other there. Yeah. So can it's you kind of tell that story? It's a dance. You know, wildlife photography is, uh, it's a dance. It's the, it can, it can be a, a crazy dance, um, or it can be the most beautiful, uh, ballroom slow dance, um, at your wedding, you know, like <laughs> it's grandma's there. Yeah. Like it's this, <laughs> it's this relationship you build with this animal and this, um, once you involve yourself so fully in this animal's life, uh, or in these animals' lives, uh, you get to really understand what they are, and you understand their emotions. You understand. You look at. I look at them as people. You know, even more than people. I value animals more than a lot of people, uh, because for me, I've been less in danger by polar bears than I have been by certain people. Um, and you accept them, and you accept each other, and you get to read those emotions to the extent where if I'm flying a drone around them or being around them, I can tell those emotions. And if I see any sort of movement that's unregular, I back off. And all of a sudden, you know, the reason why we get those shots is because there is such a huge degree of respect, mutual respect, not just from my end. So essentially, you had the idea, you had a concept in mind. But what was the what was the seed that got planted in your head that made you want to do that or shoot that? Yeah, I mean, it was years ago. It was like early 2000. Like, yeah, just after 2010, I think it was it was way before I even got up to the Arctic. I just saw a picture of bears and, and flowers. And, and for me, the way I look at images or the way I look at other people's images um, depends. Some images are just perfect. You know, some images are just uh, perfection, like you cannot change it, you cannot do it better. And obviously, it's wildlife, so you can't even replicate it. Um, but there are certain moments uh, that I feel I'm like, this just could have been done differently, or, or technology has evolved in such a way that um, it would allow us to look at this world from an even different perspective. So I saw some pictures of bears and flowers. And kind of got captivated by it. I did so much research of where this place is, how I can get there. And, and there was nothing on, on it. Um, and I just plant, started planting seeds around the Arctic of like, I would like to go here and, and do this. And eventually COVID happened. And um, the tourism company I was working with, Lazy Bear, didn't have tourists. So um, they said, you know, well, we, I remember you saying, you know, you wanted to go to this place. Why don't we go? Um, and then sort of that kind of kickstarted and, and we started planning it and, um, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> Did that, cause you know, sometimes I'll go to a place and I have a rough idea, but was the end image that you got the final result, was it the same image that you had in your mind or maybe you didn't even have one? You just had a rough idea of what you oh, wanted. Oh, absolutely not. You know, no. I had absolutely zero idea. Um, I think you, it's like you can't script it. Like you can go up and and you can say, I want this and this. But the more reliant on a script you are, the less you are going to get because you're going to be so focused and blindsided uh, by what you wanted to get that you're going to miss all of these things that are potentially even better. So it's good to have a script or some sort of visual guide of of what I want, but I try and keep it as rough as possible. Like even in Mexico right now, I had I wanted whales underwater and I didn't get any. Um you know so no it, whales, no wolves. No, I mean the whales are there, they're just not underwater. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but that's exactly it, right? Cause you some of the things you get are never going to be repeated. And at that point, you have to choose, am I flying the drone? Am I doing underwater? Am I doing long ones? What am I doing? There's only one of you. Uh, and then some things get repeated over and over again for a period of a few days. Mm -hmm. um, and you just continuously have to have to choose and, and micromanage and, and figure out what exactly it is that you're doing that will benefit that situation. Um, you know, like in Mexico, I didn't get underwater whales, not because necessarily we couldn't, uh, 
but because I knew if I would get an underwater whale, that's like, you know, an hour or two of my time. Uh, that's an hour of two that I could have been flying the drone and getting shots that, you know, are different. And with the underwater, I'm not even guaranteed to get it. Uh, so potentially I just wasted a whole day. And if I only have seven, um, I can't afford to waste that day. I need to go with what will benefit this situation in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, I didn't really have an idea of, of the pictures, just a rough plan. Yeah. A lot of it is in the moment. Like, obviously you condensed, uh, how, how long were you there? Like three or uh, you were there for a while, right? A couple of I months? Was 33 days to total over okay. two years. So yeah, just over a month. And then you condensed that into an hour and in the hour at least, right? I'm sure in, in the 33 days, it, it wasn't as, um, as much, but it just looks like you're essentially living on this little beautiful island with the polar bears in complete... Like, uh, it looked pretty peaceful. Like, it, you know, how long or at what point did you realize, okay, like, he's not looking at me as a meal, right? I can just co coexist here yeah. and we're not going to bother each other. Like, that, that can't be off the cuff. That has to take a little bit of time. It takes time, but you can, you can tell, or at least not, I mean, I can tell Okay. Um, at this point. I mean, I've seen over, you know, over 500 different polar bears by this point. Um, so you can kind of read them. So when, when one comes by, like I can tell right away if I can or cannot work with him, I'm not going to, cause mm -hmm. I need him to figure out he can work with me. Um, so it takes, you know, a few hours, a few days, uh, to build that relationship, to build that trust. Um, when you see this animal around you and it stays. And it's not going anywhere and it's not looking at you. You can tell when a bear is looking at you and it wants to eat you. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've had bears look at me and I'm like, hey, you go, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, but when a bear looks at you and you look at it and there's just no interest mm -hmm. whatsoever, um, you you just know like it, it i it's it's hard to explain it's it, it really is because it gets you it gets you right here um that moment and and that relationship and it, it really kind of takes everything and, and really puts it puts it together it's like it's like diving with sharks mm -hmm. you know yeah. like you know we or um lions or wolves you know like these are such un Rep like badly represented animals in our world because of our own biases um, that we look at them and we're like, this thing is just going to eat me, you know, because that's what we want to do, you know, because if we were that animal, that's what we would be doing. We would be the aggressive ones. We would be the ones that want to eat it. We would want to be the problem as we are. Um, but once you actually get to be immersed in that environment, you find out that's just not the case. You know, obviously there's going to be one-offs and these animals are potentially going to attack, but it's usually because we are, we did something wrong, not them. <laughs> I mean, they're not harmless animals. There's no way a, a shark, a lion, a polar bear, a bear, like the, the thing is we take ourselves out of the animal ecosystem. So therefore, if there's an attack, yeah. you kind of you frame it as, oh, this is a bad animal where... It's not because if you weren't you and you were a deer or if you were a fish, yeah. they would be looking at you as food. They don't understand, oh, this is human. Leave human alone. This is you can't kill humans. So it's not like I think they're still aggressive. They can be and they can also be probably tame. But there's always that potential there. But I, oh, of course. But for you, like. And for people who who dive with sharks or I don't know, uh, go along with lions and et cetera, like, is there a, so for example, I hike a ton, I'm out in Colorado and even before in, in New England, like, yeah, sometimes you'd see a bear and, you know, your heart rate goes up right away, right? Yeah. There's just that, that fight or flight type. Is there like any sort of inner regulation where you just like, like calm energy, heart rate, heart, heart rate's the same, yeah. like, is that in my, in my experience with animals, what you give is what you will receive. 
Okay. You know, there, there are one-offs, you know, like I'm not saying I'm not around really dangerous animals and would I recommend anyone do it? Absolutely not. Like you never go walk with a polar bear unless you know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know, don't try this at home. Like absolutely. Yeah. thing I do try at home never. Um, but like, if you are in a forest, uh, in a bear environment, right? Like I talk to these animals you know, as, as silly as that might sound, like when I'm in a forest and I know there is a grizzly bear around or a polar bear or whatever, I'm walking around and I'm talking to it. I'm going like, hey, buddy, like I'm just here, like going for a walk. I'm not going to hurt you. And and just like a calm voice, but loud enough that the animal knows I'm there because the last thing you want to do is surprise it. You know, if the animal is surprised, game over you know you spooked it all of a sudden his heart rate is up and he's in a in a flight or fight mode you know um so being able to calm that animal down and calm yourself down and getting out of that situation you know that's the best way to do it right like if if you're in a forest and you run into a grizzly bear and you start running that grizzly bear thinks you're a deer because you know that's what a deer would do because a deer would see it go oh shit run away you know obviously that bear is going to run after you um but if you're going to be there and you're going to be like hey i'm not hurting you i'm just here if that bear is hungry he's going to hurt you regardless but if he's just minding his own business which 99 percent of the time they are um you're totally fine <laughs> well they're probably also like so here bears uh i think we only have uh black bears here I think grizzlies are like Montana, Wyoming, that type of area. Um, they're kind of used to humans. I'm assuming polar bears in the Arctic have either never seen humans or it's extremely rare. So like they wouldn't even know what that is. A lot of them actually, or at least where we go, they do know people because as much as um, as much as the Arctic is is so big and the communities are so sparse, the animals have such huge ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, that most of them have ran into and not to the extent of us or the animals here where there's roads and, and buildings and people everywhere. Um, they are a lot more spread out, but they are aware of people. They know, they know who we are and their sense of smell is ridiculous. So, yeah. you know, they can smell a city miles and miles away from the actual city. So they know everything about us. Um, but, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's wild because I mean, Canada, second largest country, right? After Russia, I think something like uh, 30 million people some around that, something like that. Yeah, I don't know our population in general, but we don't have it's, like... It's not a lot. It's not a lot. But surprisingly, there is not much wildlife here. Uh, in like the whole of Canada? Yeah. Really? Like Canada has. Uh, what about like British Columbia? Isn't it? Because I remember when I was there, I saw more bears than I've seen in my entire life. There, maybe they just avoid me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in general, I think Canada has a, a, a very beautiful image in front of the world of how wild we truly are. But when you get here, you realize how truly messed up it is. Um, because we have zero wildlife policy. We have zero, uh, zero is a relative term, but relative zero for wildlife protection, wildlife management. Like it's so messed up and it's so about money and income and temporary gain Hmm. that, and you see it when you fly over Canada, you know, like when you fly over British Columbia and you see nothing but clear cut forests, Yeah, you're like, there's nothing sustainable about this you know this environment can't potentially hold any wildlife because there is no wild left in it um you go to the arctic you know you start seeing it but canada is the only place in the world that still allows trophy hunting of polar bears um doesn't help (laughs) really um everything you're saying is counter to what i thought uh canada represents no, I, I live here um, and it's 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 a shame and I wish more people knew because then they could pressure the government to actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in reality, it it is an extremely messed up place for wildlife conservation. I would actually say it's probably one of the worst places I've ever traveled to for wow. conservation, you know, and I've traveled to some pretty messed up places like um, 
it's it's strange it's unfortunate you know it's um the amount of hunting and poaching and and habitat destruction and all of these things that come into play and it 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 stems from what canada was built on right like canada was built on a fur trade mm-hmm. um so a lot of these ecosystems still have not recovered from that you know like when when you go into an environment and you shoot everything for fur it takes That's years, right. hundreds of years for that to recover. And if you're not giving that ecosystem the ability to, because you're now logging its forests and um, putting mines everywhere you can, like all of these things, it just, it, it's a, it's an ecological disaster just waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. Because as I said, like that is, I, I always looked at Canada as the the more responsible neighbor to the U.S. as far <laughs> as environmental, e- ecological, you know, wildlife conservation, et cetera. Because even in the U.S., like there are lim- like obviously you can hunt and every state is different, but there are limits. You know, there's licenses you have to buy. There's public versus private land. There's all these different rules and you can't just go shoot whoever and, and whatever you want. I mean, maybe, I think maybe same, in some states, but for the most part, you really can't. Same here. Like you need you you need licenses and, and you need these things. I think I think hunting isn't necessarily the issue in Canada as much as habitat destruction. Yeah, um, I think that really um where we go wrong is we really don't manage it well. And even our national parks, like uh, in the States, um, I, I will give props to, to you guys for having like the best national park system I have ever seen anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, because as much as they are meant for tourism, they are meant for the, for the wildlife, like in Canada, even the national parks, they're not meant for the wildlife. They're meant for tourism. You know, you have a national park and that national park, like Banff, Jasper, all of these ones. Now you have cities that are growing within these national parks. You have railways that are going through these national parks. You have roads. The railway doesn't give a shit about an animal. So their trains leak grain and you have grizzly bears that get hit left, right and center. You have wolves that enter these towns because of people's garbage. They get shot. You know, it's like we're forgetting why that park is there. Yeah. You know, it's there for the wildlife. It's not there for people. <laughs> yep. And while in the States, I, I do think that, you know, the parks are meant for people. They are meant for for the animals, right? You, you're still protecting them quite, yeah. quite extensively in them. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. I mean, there's always more work to be done and they can always do better. But I think generally they're doing okay. Now I know in Colorado, they've just introduced wolves back into the ecosystem here where mm-hmm. they weren't here for, for a very long time because they got hunted to extinction. Yeah. Um, and it's always a back and forth, right? Like on the one hand, that's amazing because I'm sure you've seen that video of how a wolves change the, the, the ecosystem. Oh yeah. Like in, in Yellowstone. In Yellowstone. Yeah. 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 But then like they go and they kill dogs you know, just like, and then it's just like, so people obviously against it, no one wants to have their dog killed. So it's always a a push pull. It's never, you know, when you introduce a a new animal or any animal into a new environment, there's going to be some. Yeah. Kickbacks. Yeah. Um, And I don't know, like, I don't know enough about it to like weigh in, but yeah, Yeah, it's it's good and unfortunate. We as people have such control issues, like we continuously want to control. We want to control everything. Yeah. And 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 we want to control nature and control controlling nature, you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we as people have to realize that um we were once part of nature. We were we were wild animals at one point. Um with uh, our brains and, and technology, we managed to set our set selves aside from nature. But we've got it to the point where we are so disconnected from it that we are not a part of it whatsoever. And we are forgetting that these animals that live in these environments, they are nature. Mm-hmm. And they were there a long time before we were there. And if we disappeared, they would be back. Yep. You know, like the less we try and control them, the more successful they're going to be. And, you know, why is that, you know, wolf attacking that kettle it's not because that kettle was there a hundred years ago it's because that wolf was and that kettle is now invading its space 
you know, so, you know, we're so surprised why these animals are going to town to eat our garbage, to eat our livestock, to do all of these things. And it stems from the fact that we so destroyed not just their environment where they used to be, but we're logging their forests, killing all their prey in the mountains mm -hmm. far from us, you know, that they're going to come looking for food and they're coming to where they used to be. Yeah. And now we're there and we're complaining about it. You know, it's such a vicious cycle uh, that's so hard to explain to people. <laughs> um, but well, I think you do a good job through the through your photography. Um, you know, I try. <laughs> yeah, because if you can pair a visual with a good story and you can share an experience, I think that connects with people for the most part. Yeah. And if you do it well, that can even change people's minds. And I think you do a, a great job with that. Oh, well, I try, you know, like, I think, you know, one, one, one step at a time, right? Like, you know, you, we, we need to change, you know, we, as people need to, we, uh, setting aside, you know, climate change and all of these things and the mixed views on that, like, mm -hmm. okay, if we disagree on climate change, cause people have mixed opinions on it, they need to go to the Arctic and, and realize that it's real, but <laughs> Um, if we set aside that, then let's at least address the fact that there is extreme habitat destruction going on, because that's evident, mm -hmm. you know, and that stems to so many of these other issues. And if we stop that and start rewilding nature, and if we start becoming a part of nature, um, we will just be happier for it. We will build a better relationship within each other. A hundred percent. Well, Martin, this was a blast. This is a good kind of uh, cliffhanger to, to to finish with. But um, this was a blast. Thank you so much for taking the time and kind of sharing your viewpoints and experiences. Oh, thank you for having me. This is probably the deepest I, I've gotten. Oh, if, if <laughs> I just we had... retired after two weeks of traveling, I'm just... <laughs> Dude, if we had another hour or two, we could have gone deep. But uh, we can we can definitely <laughs> do it again at some point. Where, uh, where are the best places for uh, for the listeners to, to find you and connect with you? Yeah, I mean, uh, my Instagram, feel free to... It, it will take me a while, like I mentioned earlier. But my yeah. wild live on Instagram, I'm just launching a... I mean, I have a YouTube channel, but I'm going to be posting uh, sort of um, my wildlife series, which will follow these journeys to these ecosystems and um, the relationships we form with these animals. So also my wildlife, my wildlife everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, I'll be sure to link everything in the show notes, make it every make it easy for everyone to find. And again, Martin, this was awesome, man. I'm glad we could get it done. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I right, take care, buddy. Yeah, cheers, mate.